This is Car Expert. Being able to offer that car, given the low volume that Genesis has in Australia as well, the brand has to be commended for continuing to give it a shot, even though it hasn't quite struck a chord with the Australian buyer set yet. As someone suggested in the comments, maybe they should have given it another name, like the C65 or something. Well, they, they gave it another name, C63S E-Performance. <laughs> yes, they gave it about five names, Will. Um, <laughs> Tony Crawford. Mandy Turner, how are you? Fabulous, because you're here now. <laughs> I'm sitting Where in my. You should be, Mandy, in yes, a car. I'm sitting in my up tonight, the best <laughs> studio in the world. Hello, <laughs> William Stopford. Hello, Mandy. Welcome back to Australia. You've been yes. in Detroit, as we've seen on all of your social media channels. How was it? Oh, wonderful! It was actually my my first time in Detroit in five years. My first time at the Detroit show in ten years. Uh, the show was a little bit different this year, um, so. It, believe it hasn't run for the past couple of years for obvious reasons uh and going there was part of a, a i was attending various events for ford in detroit and in dearborn of course um and on one of the days we got to go to the show well technically the show was closed for four hours because president joe biden was visiting and they had to basically clear no the hall i didn't even wow. get to see him so um but ah. i did get to see the massive queue afterwards as everybody tried to get back in um but Look, the show this year was perhaps different from if anybody listening has been to the show before. Uh, they're probably used to it being a little bit more lively. This year felt a little bit more more of a trade show. Lots of suppliers, but not many brands overall. So Ford's brands were represented as were GM's, Stellantis's, and Toyota was there, and Subaru was there. But that was it. Um, wow. There was like a, a section where I think maybe local dealers had brought in cars. So there was like, like there were like two Genesis products and like one Lexus and, you know, like a, just a handful of kind of random cars. Um, but look, it was, you know, I mean, kid in a candy store here. So <laughs> I was thoroughly uh, pleased climbing in and out of Cadillacs and, and Lincolns and whatnot. Um, so the, the, uh, the program that, that I was there for, there was a lot, uh, it was probably a, too much to talk about, um, but we got to see the Mustang be revealed. Uh, so we got a little look at it uh, behind the scenes beforehand, and then we actually got to uh, attend the Stampede uh, event uh, right at Hart Plaza, so right in downtown Detroit, uh, where they revealed the Mustang to the public. And they actually kept a surprise up their sleeves because uh, there was they revealed the Mustang Dark Horse, uh, which we didn't actually know about um, ahead of time. Um, and we also had a drive program as well. Um, I'll, I'll chat about that probably uh, in next week's podcast, uh, some of the vehicles that, that, that I did drive. But uh, Ford made a whole fleet of vehicles available to us. Um, so everything from uh, the Explorer Timberline to the Bronco Everglades to the Shelby GT500. Uh, so it was uh, action-packed, uh, shall we say. <laughs> I can see Crawford with a big smile on his face. I think we need to have him on the panel next week so we can listen to what you're going to talk about. Well, I see. I didn't even drive. I know. I know exactly what Tony's excited about. You're excited about the Shelby GT500, oh, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> I didn't get a chance to drive it. Oh, right. We had we had so many journalists. We had you know more 
more journalists than we had cars, I want to say, or at least individual models. And I wanted to prioritize the vehicles that were, you know, there was actually a chance that they would come here, uh, yeah. given the GT500 is is done for, for this generation. In fact, this, you know, this Mustang, current Mustang is wrapping up production. Um, so I did hear it. I did get to look at it. Um, I, I was a little bit jealous. I'll tell you one car I did get behind the wheel of that I don't think anybody else did. I didn't see anybody even look at this thing. But I got behind the wheel of the Explorer Timberline. Um, so, for those who don't know, I mean, obviously, I've, I'm pretty sure everyone listening knows what an Explorer is. But the current generation is on this new rear slash all-wheel drive architecture. And uh, I drove the Timberline, which is this kind of rugged-looking version uh, with a turbocharged 2.3-liter four-cylinder engine. Just a quick drive because I just like I had ten minutes. I'm like, oh god, you know, I've got these cars available. I've got to drive one quickly. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I realized I, I just, you know, I was just went to the Everest launch, and I, I, I very much enjoyed that car as well. But very different kind of approaches to the same kind of large SUV concept. Um, I really, really enjoyed that Explorer in that limited time that I drove it. I did also drive a Bronco, um, which uh, again a two point three liter turbo, but very different, uh, very different tuning there. Um, I think it was probably. Uh, Probably better off-road than it would have been on-road. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do give Ford credit for finding perhaps the only curved roads in the Detroit metropolitan area for, for our drive route. Because what was that, the dark horse like? In person, I yeah. would, couldn't tell you. Uh, it was uh, – I saw it from – several rows of you know bleachers away and then by the time i got down to close to it there was an absolute swarm of people around it um so your guess is as good as mine i will say the new mustang does look it does look good in person um i don't really understand why everyone's complaining about the interior so no i have no idea why it's modern it's we're moving ahead yeah enjoy the technology i mean yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, like, I, I cannot understand that obsession with old school. Like, you know, the time marches on. Yeah. And, and look, I think the Ford has kind of, similar to what Chevy has done, they've kind of boxed themselves into a corner with they're still trying to get that kind of essence out of like, you know, the essence of like a, 64 to 70 Mustang. Um, for the past three generations, every Mustang has really kind of paid homage to to that era of mm. Mustang. Um, I think the the current one, it's very evolutionary. I think when, when they when they pulled the sheets off, we're like, okay, this this does look quite similar to to, to the outgoing car, but it mm. looks it looks good. It's a nice evolution. Yeah, but that interior kind of discards that retro. Um, you know, design language that they've been uh, plugging since, what, the 2004 model. Um, and I think it's all the better for it. I think Ford does really good in car tech. Uh, the displays are nice. And I'll tell you one thing that everyone was absolutely wrapped with and I was thoroughly impressed with. Um, there's a, there's actually a, a setting for the digital instrument cluster that gives you uh, analog-looking gauges like those from a Fox body Mustang. Oh, and at nice. nighttime, they even glow green in classic oh, Ford awesome. style. That's, that's, a nice touch. that's awesome. And, and yeah, like, that's, and that's, I'm glad we can all appreciate that because there's a lot of Australians who just, because 
every, every second classic car on Australian streets is a first generation Mustang. It's like no other Mustangs ever existed here, you know. And, and the first generation wasn't, you know, sold here beyond like a tiny limited number of vehicles brought in. So people don't really understand how big of a deal the Fox Buddy was. Like that was like the affordable performance car bargain in the in the eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Um, so to see, I, I think it's it's part of this broader trend that we've been seeing where. Car companies are realizing that retro doesn't have to mean 60s. Um, we've seen yeah. that with the new Nissan Z, Nissan Z with uh, the 300 ZX style taillights. Now we've seen this with these with these uh, Fox body style gauges. I really like design touches like that, and I'm glad that they, yeah. there's a, there's a whole you know well of 80s 90s nostalgia that car companies should really be dipping into. If you want to go retro, you don't have to go all the way back to the 60s, especially Japanese brands where the golden age of Japanese sports cars was the early 90s. So if you want to tap that well, go ahead. Given the fact that we love our high-performance editions, uh, are we ever going – did anyone ask the question to Ford US, can we please have a GT350? (laughs) Can we have a Shelby product? For right-hand drive in the Mustang thing? Uh, I didn't personally ask that. Uh, so, that is a really good question because that is something we've always missed out on, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be really nice. I, I think uh, uh, perhaps some people don't realize just how many modifications, you know, they are made to a Mustang to turn it into a Shelby GT500. I mean, yeah. it's got a completely different, you know, dual clutch transmission. And I'll tell you what, they look really mean in person they, as they're, well. They're amazing. It, it's what turned me on to the bullet, the fact that it got some, i.e. three Shelby GT350 parts, including throttle bodies and air breather and all that, like open air breather. And But that that's the real attraction. So the Dark Horse is quite a bit more powerful, right? Yeah. Standard, yeah. Uh, are you thinking of replacing your bullet with one? Uh, yeah, the, 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 that's my th- thing, but I'm not sure if the Dark Horse is is up at the same standing as a bullet in terms of um, exclusivity and specialness. Yeah, we'll have to see um, how many they, they actually decide to, to bring into Australia. Uh, but I love, uh, I know they did an, that name competition to pick the name and um, and I think, you know, we heard that one of the front runners was, was Dark Horse. I'm like, how have they never thought of doing that name <laughs> since, you know, 1965? You know, no one's yeah. thought to do that. And then they revealed that special edition Night Pony I'm no. like, no, but I realize now they were saving the name for something good, not just yeah. some, you yeah. know, appearance package. Yeah. Is there one color or like bullet for that? I don't, I think I don't know if they released information about colors. Right. Um, so, you'll just have to, you know, stay mm. tuned there. Mm. Uh, but look, uh, Detroit, there was obviously so, so much to unpack there, but my, my car uh, spotting and car stuff wow now very articulate tonight um didn't end in detroit because uh i went over to new york um and i caught up with Derek fung um yeah exactly um so uh for those of you who are not aware uh Derek is one of our contributors he writes actually a lot for our website and has done since day one um but um i caught up with him we were just uh walking to that uh we're at that that new uh Little Island, this new park um, near near Chelsea, um, oh, yeah. and uh, 
we happen to stumble across Genesis House, um, which is oh, wow. uh, the brand's kind of flagship studio. So they don't sell cars there. It's more of a display thing. I know we're talking about Genesis products uh, later on in the podcast, but uh, I got to sit and I've done a video for social, which I'm sure will be going up soon. Um <laughs> Got to sit in the new G90, uh, which is, you know, the one Genesis product we seem to miss out on here. Mm. Absolutely gorgeous in mm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat in the in the back seat and, you know, you, you just press the door, you press the button and the door just opens automatically. You yeah. get in the seat and you can recline it and the, the front passenger seat moves almost all the way forward. Mm. Uh, it is that, that is the kind of car a, a CEO um, yeah, uh, would have. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful in person. And the, the, the showroom was really cool because they had lots of um, uh, like- Is there cool- any food there? Was there food? <laughs> there yeah, is. Like a, you sound so you like me. Know, yes. no, you guys don't know about the Lexus store in Tokyo that is actually into a Lexus restaurant. There's a restaurant. There's a restaurant here uh, as well. I, it was upstairs. I, I didn't go to it because oh, I was, okay. you know, I had a, plenty of food. I was in America. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's uh, like all these like kind of Korean design elements in the studio, and then they've got like all these doors with all the different colors and interior colors of all the products. Oh, okay. And uh, they had a GV60 there as well. Um, yeah. So it was it was wonderful because a, a few years ago um, they closed it now. Um, but um, uh, I went to Cadillac House, which is very pretty close to where Genesis House is now. Mm, um, mm. And it was lovely. As a Cadillac fan, I, I thoroughly enjoyed visiting there. But even they didn't go to the same uh, level mm. of, of effort as, as, as Genesis has done. So, it's a very, very, very cool showroom. Um, and uh, when I was in Miami, uh, I checked out a Lucid showroom. Um, oh, that, that thing's cool, that car. That is, you know, yeah. you talk about cars that you get over there that that we miss out on, and you know, we're we're bitterly jealous about, and everything from you know GMC Hummer EVs to Rivians, which I saw a couple of in bright mm. yellow, no less. Mm. Um, and uh, this Lucid is is a very impressive package. You, it looks yeah. so low and sleek, but the the back seat is so spacious and comfortable. Yeah, it was a Lucid Air um, Gold or whatever they. This was the uh, Lucid Air Dream. Dream, dream, uh, yeah, that, that's like say. a sandy color. Uh, this oh, one, yeah. this one was in like a deep burgundy. Oh. Um, but uh, they had, Good they have um, in the showroom. So this was right in downtown Miami. Um, they had all like the uh, the the components, so like the electric motors and and the, and parts of the battery pack. Yeah, and all they had that, that on display. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, it was really yeah. cool to because I mean we, we you know maybe Lucid will come here eventually I don't know you know it's just on our list of, of brands to kind of keep waiting for. Um, well, so all those cars you drove are the reviews live now or are they embargoed? Oh no, so they're embargoed. So Mustang Marky will be they're both Mustang Marky and F one fifty Lightning will be later this week. Okay. Um, so I'll just we'll just wait to chat about them now. I'll probably come on next week yeah. to chat about them. So okay. yeah, but let's wrap up now. Let's get wow. into news. And we will indeed get stuck into this week's car news. And we start with, will you, 2023 Mitsubishi ASX, the Euro model has been launched, but it has been rebadged. Yeah. So, uh, if it looks familiar, it's a Renault Captor. Um, swap out uh, the badges and uh, maybe part of the grill trim and uh, that, that's it's, it's a Captor. It's a Captor with Mitsubishi badges. Now, the Captor is a very good thing. I thoroughly enjoy the Captor. So maybe a Mitsubishi ASX based on the Captor would be a nice thing. What a pity we don't seem to be uh, in line to get it. So this has been designed specifically for the European market. Now, 
Mitsubishi, if you'll remember, basically said that they were going to withdraw from the European market and then they did a, a 180 and had decided to stick around, but they needed to fill out their model lineup. So there's a Colt that's going to be, uh, so the Colt name's coming back. That's probably going to be a very, very thinly um, restyled Renault Clio. Um, so Mitsubishi still has not confirmed a replacement for the ASX for markets like uh, Australia, for North America, et cetera. So it's just left to to trudge along, uh, which is really unfortunate because this uh, this captor-based ASX would seem a, a lovely replacement. Um, Mitsubishi did say that they are going to be um, making some, you know, small changes to our ASX uh, next year. I believe they spoke of a new um, a new entry-level model um, that would be joining the range. But, yeah, just uh, doesn't, it doesn't seem like we're in line to get this uh, Renault-based model at all. Hmm. Okay. Um, also, the Volvo EX90, or is it pronounced X90? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's an SUV, and this is really cool, Will. It's designed to be uh, Volvo's safest car ever, just when you think Volvo can't get any safer. Uh, look, I, I really respect Volvo for really leaning into safety Decades yeah. ago, they made it a core part of their identity to the point where people just find safety synonymous with Volvo. Um, but in in recent years where we've been seeing this absolute, you know, influx of new active safety and driver assist technology, I wouldn't say that Volvo has necessarily always been at the front of the pack. They've never really been lacking in safety technology, um, but other brands have kind of taken that baton and, and moved with it. Now, when you're a brand who's, you know, perhaps it's arguably its largest selling point is its safety um, performance, um, that means you kind of have to step it up a little bit. And Volvo is doing just that. So, the EX90, not X90 because that's a very awkward looking Suzuki, um, <laughs> will, <laughs> Jack's favourite, um, will be replacing the XC90. Um, so, it's debuting uh, what Volvo says is a new driver understanding system, which uses two cameras that will monitor the driver's iPad uh, measuring how long the driver's looking at the road and allowing for natural variations, work out why they might not be paying full attention. Uh, the steering wheel sensors that will be used to track the driver's inputs. Um, there's uh, a LiDAR sensor on the roof that's capable of detecting, detecting pedestrians up to 250 metres away or spotting wow. a black tyre on a road up to 120 metres away at night. Um, so, it's it's very interesting to see Volvo investing uh, heavily in LiDAR. I know some Chinese brands are also doing that as well. The technology is very impressive. Some companies seem to think that it's it's not necessary and a, a boondoggle and a, and a waste of time like Tesla, um, which are just going going for camera-based systems. Did you uh, say boondoggle? Boondoggle. I've never heard that term You've before. You've never heard that term before? <laughs> boondoggle? Now, you, now, I better – I've used that correctly. I'm sure I have. Um, just real quick. Um, an unnecessary, wasteful, or fraudulent project. I use that absolutely correctly. That is awesome. That is <laughs> – yeah, put that one on your list. <laughs> Um, but all up with the EX90, there's a set of eight cameras, five radars, 16 ultrasonic sensors, and the LiDAR system. Um, so, look, uh, Volvo uh, really wants to um, burnish its safety credentials. And by rolling out this active safety and driver assist technology, considering how much attention is on that, not mm. only from buyers, but also safety authorities like ANCAP and Euro 
Moran cap. Um, it looks like the EX90 is is stacking up to be a very uh, high tech, sophisticated, and most importantly, safe vehicle. Definitely. We're going to stick to the safety theme here as well. The Havel Jolion has got a five-star and cap safety rating. Yeah, so that's that's one thing that I've um, that's always kind of stopped me from from recommending the Jolion to people because it's yeah. a, it's a decent car. Like uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's top of the class, but it's it's a thoroughly decent small SUV. It's fantastic value for money for what you get in terms of size and features. But not having that um, and cap rating has always made me a little even as uh, as other GWM products have uh, have successfully obtained five stars from ANCAP testing. So we know that there was a bit of a backlog um, that ANCAP was trying to get through. Jolion was part of that backlog. Well, here we go, five stars. So we've got 90% for adult occupant protection, 84% for child occupant protection, 64% for vulnerable road user protection, and 92% for safety assist features. Um, so that means all of GWM's uh, products on sale at, at the moment in Australia, so the GWM Ute, the GWM Havel Jolion, and the GWM Havel H6 all have five-star ratings under the current 2020 to 2022 ANCAP safety protocols. So look, that's that's uh, it. It makes the the Jolion a, a little bit harder to not recommend. Mm. So I guess that means easier to recommend. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Correct. Said in that very circuitous way, but I know exactly what you meant. Yes, yeah, very good. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Croft, the new Mercedes AMG C63 SE Performance Hybrid. There's about six different words in that name. Oh, take um, a breath, Mandy. <laughs> It's coming here next year. Yeah, this is a bit of a shock, Mandy, um, uh, not the least of which is to me. Um, uh, as Mike uh, Costello said in his news story on uh, on the site, uh, the Sonorous V8 is gone, but the new Mercedes-AMG C63 SE Performance Feb has the performance credentials to shut everyone up. Well, that's because it has system outputs of 500 kilowatts and 1,020 newton metres. What? It will do 0 to 100 in 3.4. And for folks that don't know, that's as quick as a new Porsche GT3. That's I know that's naturally aspirated, but nonetheless, that's a Porsche GT3. And this thing is running a four-pot plug-in hybrid, and it's just as quick. Probably a problem quarter of is, the money too. Problem is it weighs... Two point over two point one ton. Um, that's heavy. So you're going to need that amount of grunt to get it off the line properly. Mm. Um, and look, it, it's too early to to pass judgment on this car without ever having sat in it, let alone drive it. So I think we better wait until it drops down and we can get in this thing. But the, they say it's got Formula One technology and it's obviously an incredibly clever car, incredibly fast car. But, you know, a, a GT3 Porsche or a 911 weighs about 1730 kilos. This thing weighs 400 plus kilos more. So I, I suspect it won't be as sharp in the corners, but you never know with the technology these days. They uh, Mercedes are uh, right up there in technology land and um, with dynamics and whatever they've done to this thing, and I think it's going to polarise the crap out of everyone um, because I can't see myself buying a four-pot C63. And as someone suggested in the comments, maybe they should have given it another name, like the C65 or something. Well, they, they gave it another name, C63 SE Performance. <laughs> yes, they gave it about five names, Will. Um, <laughs> um, 
But look, it's getting, it's really interesting, and they are some they are some huge outputs. Yeah, uh, they they are crazy for a four pot. So it's the most powerful four pot ever made. Uh, it may even be more. Well, it's probably right up there with a Formula One car in terms of four pot technology. Look, we all miss the naturally aspirated V8 from the old C63 and then the twin turbo V8 came along yeah. and I think that earned people's respect. And yeah. I, I think that's the the biggest problem this car is going to have is that it's not going to sound as good as a V8. Yeah. Um, I don't but, know what it's going to sound like, Will, um, yeah. to be honest. Big question yeah. and um, uh, it's dropping in the uh, uh, around the halfway through 2023, they tell us so. Nice. Uh, we'll probably get to drive it before that, hopefully in Germany on Lauderbahn where we can uh, smash out some of that top speed. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, even the four-pot engine has 350 kilowatts and 545 newton metres. I mean, that's just the, the four-pot. Well, we'd like to hear your thoughts. You can uh, comment in the section of that story at carexpert.com.au. And that wraps up this week's news. Well, the opening line to James Wong's 2023 Genesis Electrified G80 review is, The Electrified G80 is an impressive package, strong performance, long range and heaps of luxury. Is it worthy of its $145,000 price tag, though? Hello, J-Wo. Hello. (laughs) So I suppose we probably should start out, is it worth it of its price tag? Um, that's a really good question. And I think that that answer will be dependent on who you're talking to. For me, I, it depends. I had to look at it from a couple of different lenses and it's something that I go into quite a bit in the review is that, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of you really like the G80 and you want an electric version, a $30,000 premium is a lot of money. It basically buys you a second car. So you could have, you know, a Genesis G80 V6 and you could buy a Toyota Corolla or a Yaris hybrid to offset your fuel consumption if if that really concerns you. But then you can look at it from another way, which is, you know, this is a a large five series or E-class sized sedan or limousine, if you will. And it's fully electric. It's got you know, AMG 53 levels of performance, at least from a combustion engine perspective. And, you know, where it sits in the market, it basically stands alone at $145,000. There's literally nothing that fits that same sort of, you know, pitch and and aesthetic or, you know, um, form factor. Uh, and or whatever is similar is way more expensive. So you look at something like, you know, there's no five series or E-class electric vehicle per se, but there's the EQE, which is going to come to Australia late this year, early next, but it's going to launch with the AMG 53 version, which is going to be like, you know, probably $200,000, which is a lot more. Um, if you want some, and, and even then that's not really pitched in the same, you know, passenger focus way. I sort of drew a comparison to something like a BMW i7, which is technically a size class larger and twice the price. But, you know, if you're trying to even spec an an E350, um, which is a two-liter mild hybrid to the same level as this Genesis is equipped, it's the same money if not more. So it's sort of a bargain when you look at it that way and it's not really trying to go for a Porsche Taycan or an Audi e-tron GT, which are more sporty focus or even like a BMW i4 M50, which I know is one of Cross' favorite vehicles of the last- It's so cheap. 
the last, <laughs> last you know, six months. Um, so when you look at it from that way, if you're looking for something that's like, you know, a big luxurious sedan that is more, you know, comfort and passenger focused, it really sort of stands on its own. So that $145,000 price point, doesn't really seem that bad and it's also fully optioned. So the only thing you can add to it is um, matte paint, which is another two grand. So it, what you see is what you get really. So it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to make a definitive thing because that's a very subjective question. It's very based on, you know, what your priorities are, how you view the vehicle, you know, can you stump that kind of money for a brand that doesn't necessarily have the same um, uh, resonance with, with premium buyers. But, you know, I, I feel like you could justify it depending on how you look at it. I have been waiting, waiting to read your thoughts on this car. As, as someone who went to the local launch for the 2.5 and the 3.5 petrol engines, uh, the biggest question I have for you, James, is how does it drive and does it drive differently from the petrol models? Well, I know that the, the, the normal G80 is a bit more like sporting leaned. It's meant to be sort of like an athletic um, sedan that sort of somewhat sits somewhere between maybe an E-Class and 5 Series in terms of dynamics. And, you know, when you when they do the presentation, they tell you how, you know, well made it is and it's so quiet and they've really focused on eliminating NVH or noise vibration harshness. You think, okay, this is going to be really, you know, wafty, comfortable, relaxed the way it drove was a little bit different. I was expecting it to be, you know, almost like an air sprung ride and that kind of thing, but it still has that level of dynamism dialed in. It's it's got it's a bit firm, it's it's quite sharp in how it turns in. So it still drives, I feel, like a normal G eighty, but it's got that really instant muscular uh, torque thrust that you get with electric motors and it's actually quicker than the V6. So I, I we were driving it out uh, near Yarra Glen in Victoria's or Melbourne's far east and there are some really cool twisty, you know, B roads out there with 100, 110 kilometre an hour signed speed limits. And the way this car drove, it had so much grip. You're, you're nice and low to the ground. It feels really, you know, slim, sleek and streamlined. And it, it really in, almost encouraged you to drive hard because it was more than capable of doing so. And it's, and it's running um, Michelin Pilot Sport EV tires. So wow. it's actually got, you know, it's got good grip. It, it turns in really nicely. It, it doesn't feel like too heavy or wide because I know I said that about the GV60 last week is that you know it sort of felt its weight in some of those tighter corners but you know this one it's just a really it's it's on the sportier side of neutral without being like so performance focused that it's ridiculous but you know you can drive it in a very relaxed um, luxurious manner and you know on the way back to Melbourne it was on the freeway and you just put it in cruise control and the the ride settles it's incredibly quiet at a cruise um, and it was just fantastic and then but if you want to dial that up a little bit you can do that and I think the the duality of its personality is really impressive but overall the, the ride is comfortable because I was in a GV80 recently um, and I was struck by a ride balance that just wasn't quite 100% good. So, is is this a really comfortable car on really rough roads? Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's not running massive wheels like a 3.5T all-wheel drive G80, which has, I think, 19s or 20s. This one's running on 18s or 19s. So, <laughs> there's more sidewall, less alloy. And I know with the GV80, you've got like 21 or 22-inch wheels in that top specification. So, you know, there are some things that um, that – 
predictive suspension can't do to completely defy <laughs> physics. But this one has that adaptive suspension, but also has a smaller wheel and tire package, which means that it's got that little bit of extra pliance um, dialed in. And it's genuinely very, very comfortable and very quiet, but it's still got like that slightly firmer um, tune to it. So it feels, it always feels like it's ready to go but it's still very comfortable, if that makes sense. <laughs> Joe, uh, who's buying this G80 electrified? Like, what's the, Where's the market in Australia for that? That's a really interesting question, and we actually posed that to the Genesis team when um, they did their press conference with it because we were saying, you know, this is a very niche vehicle, at least conceptually. Um, so what kind of buyer are you you're looking at? And, they, and the Genesis team actually told us that they had already received 600 inquiries about the electrified G80, which is a lot considering they've only registered 55 in the country of the normal ones so far this year. Um, and when the demographic, they said from a private buyer's perspective, there's a lot of CEOs or corporate types that, you know, want something that's really luxurious and, and, and high end, but also there's like an understated elegance to Genesis products that I find, you know, almost like a Bentley where they really cut you. They're quite distinctive, but they're not, so loud if that if in, mm. in that way you know you, there are some of the you know there's some bmw things now where you look at like a bmw ix and that's just like bonkers to look at yeah. or you know some of the the mercedes eq stuff now like that eqe and eqs have very very like loud designs mm. that mm. get catch your attention and also are quite polarizing whereas i feel like the genesis sort of has some some distinctive elements like that jewel tier headlight and taillight motif and you know it's they've got quite some angles on them that might catch your eye, but I don't think they're mm. offensive in any way. And I think especially mm. the when they had all the electrified G80s lined up outside um, the hotel, we were saying that in the CBD, it was like we had a fleet of these really pretty long limousines waiting for us to leave. And mm. I think that, that I can see why it appeals to that buyer type. But I was really surprised to hear that they'd had so many inquiries because it seems maybe people want something that's electric, but the current crop of German stuff anyway is probably too driver focused and they want something that's a bit more luxurious and comfortable. Seems uh, also, uh, what do you think about the, I'm currently driving a GV60 and I, I, I really love it, the styling and it's such mm. a head turner. Everyone is, everyone goes to the back of the car to see what brand it is. They don't know what brand it is. Um, but I'm not sold on the rear of these cars. The front looks amazing, but there's something a bit skew if with the rear lights. So I don't know if you think that, you guys, but... No. Um, I don't think it yeah. of the G80 um, in, specifically. I, I know what you mean about the GV60. The GV60 is a little bit awkward from the back. I think the mm. G80 is probably the most resolved rear design of the entire Genesis range. Okay. Um, and I've seen a couple on the road in Melbourne. You don't see many, but you, I have no. seen a couple... And um, I think that it really comes together quite well. And it's very, I feel like a lot of, like I've had my parents see Genesis's or Genesis before <laughs> and they've asked me, what's that, what's that new Bentley called? Mm, um, because no, it's very, it, it's very easy to keep for people that don't really know to confuse it for something like that. That's yes. how good they look. And obviously the, the, the logo, that winged logo could be an Aston Martin or Bentley logo as well from a, from afar. So I think in terms of the G80, I think I love, I've always loved the design of the new G80. I think it looks great. It's well proportioned. It's sporty, but you know, elegant and, and beautiful, but also has some more contemporary design cues that, 
you know, make it a little bit more avant-garde. I, I think it does it all really well. And I was having a discussion with a, a fellow journalist on the drive and from the inside, it's so beautifully built and, and distinctly, mm. I feel like the, the new Genesis range is very Korean in that it's it's almost like a fusion of all these different design languages. You've got a bit of Europe, you've got a bit of Asian yeah. um, influence. And I think that they've really come into their own now where it doesn't just look like a carbon copy, you know, from that Peter Schreyer era where so many Hyundai Genesis Kia products look like just, you know, a refined version of an Audi design. Now they yes there's bits of bentley and stuff in or you know audi or stuff in there but i feel like it's it's definitely coming together much better um and they're really forging ahead with their own identity which is really cool to see so you spoke about the interior there now being as this is a petrol uh, car that has been converted into an EV. Um, mm-hmm. There's a large battery that's had to be wedged in there. How has that affected packaging? Because I'm, I'm looking at a picture of the boot and it's reminding me of those old Infiniti Q70 hybrids where half of the boot is taken up by a battery. Yeah, or even like an old Falcon or Commodore with an LPG tank in the back. <laughs> that, that's, that's, yes. that's, that's where it's been impacted the most. So it's got quite a large battery at 87 kilowatt hours. It's actually larger than both um, the G- electrified GV70 and the GV60. So it's got a much bigger battery pack. And the, the biggest compromise is in the boot area where it loses about 100 litres and it's got sort of like a funny shape. Um, and I did notice that the floor felt a little bit higher because you've obviously got the battery um, fitted underneath. But, you know, I'm a little over six foot one. I could sit behind my own driving position fine if the driver or front passenger doesn't have their um, seat adjusted to the lowest point toe room's not too tight and you know you've got enough knee and uh headroom um there's no panoramic sunroof on the electrified g80 you get a solar roof as standard which is kind of cool um so headroom's not impacted too much will's shaking his head because he doesn't like new tech um he likes stuff i just want a freaking panoramic roof quite a lot it's quite distracting can i also just say that they've not really lived up you guys are waxing lyrical quite uh quite a lot about uh, genesis but the genesis concept of 2021 and the genesis concept mint the mint concept of 19 they looked stunning hmm. they're literally amazing and they've not quite got there on these designs that's my oh, view i think I'm, that's very subjective though i i mean i personally well, sure I, I love all of, of genesis current designs and, and to james's point as well about the interiors i think one thing that really impresses me about genesis are the color and material choices the number awesome. of colorful interiors you can get in genesis products that you can't yeah. get in the germans that that really impresses me although yeah. ix is quite interesting uh interiors yeah. and beautiful yeah, and colors. But, i mean yeah. if you look at probably if you walk onto your typical bmw or mercedes or audi dealership lot and look through the sea of white gray and black cars with black interiors you'd yeah. be hard pressed to find anything especially colorful. Oh, you're right the, the gv60 i'm driving someone actually came up and said no, the painted the color is just magnificent and this guy's actually interior designer so I was yeah. very uh, interested to see him say that that color of whatever I'm driving, whatever that color is, I don't know that yet. Li- but that lime color. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I know what you're saying about the design, um, Crawl. I know that the the Mint, I think, was meant to be some, you know, Audi A3 size car, but it sort of morphed into the the GV60 and, you know, it all yeah. sort of is it's, – it's put on weight in the wrong areas. But um, that Speedium concept that I think you're referring to, the more recent one, is um, has sort of influenced the design of the G90, which we don't get here, yeah. um, which is a shame because that's their, like, S-Class equivalent that you can get this long wheel base one with monoblock wheels and everything and it looks like a korean oh, maybach awesome. which is really, yeah. yeah and and i've seen the interior shots and it looks absolutely magnificent um i know you and i think i can't um finish this segment without talking about some of the negatives because you know mm. it's not a perfect car other than the the price and value equation which to some people will be questionable um there are some things that were missing um that are missing at least from a local specification standpoint uh, like wireless smartphone mirroring, which Hyundai and Kia seem to still not be able to do with um, embedded navigation, which is a pain in the butt when, you know, if there's a wireless charger there and a perfect slot for your phone to sit without having to cable up. And, you know, these are tech companies that work with LG and whatever, they sh- and Samsung, they should be able to get this stuff done. Um, and there's still no, like, connected services, even though Hyundai and Kia are now rolling out their own connected suites, which seems like a bit of a misstep given Genesis is meant to be the flagship. I understand that sometimes the lower brands might debut this kind of stuff first and filter it up, but when when you're charging that much money for a car and you're talking about the tech and everything of this big $145,000, $150,000 vehicle, it just seems like uh, something that's ill-thought, especially when it's available in the global product portfolio. Um, and then it may also means that you don't get, you know, online navigation and those kind of things, which, you know, Mercedes and BMW are doing so well at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it does have augmented reality navigation, which I freaking love. I um, love it too. The, yeah, the Genesis system is actually really fun. Um, it's not oh, quite yeah, as good, good as... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not quite as good as the GV60, which projects it into your instrument cluster, but being able to see it on that big 14-inch um, central infotainment mm. screen in the G80 is quite nice. Yeah. Um, it just would be better. T- it would be nice to have, like, proper connected navigation and, and all those sorts of functions because, you know, you can schedule – you can probably uh, schedule charging and do all those sort of remote things that you don't can't do at the moment without that app-based functionality. How quick is it? Get, does 0 to 104.9 seconds, which is okay. – Pretty Fast quick. Enough. Fast yeah, enough. that's you know that's E sixty three or E fifty five times a, car, a few years ago in a car that emits nothing and you mm. just hook it up to charge and it's, it's not a small car it's a you know two plus ton five point something meter long uh, limousine so it's it's no shrinking what do you call it shrinking violet mm. <laughs> I don't know uh, these I still can't get my head around CEOs buying a car like that these days. Um, given the the, 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 the wanton favorite, favoritism of SUVs and the family the family uh, duties that they would have to do as family guys. And uh, I, I thought it was just a chauffeur's car and a hire car company car or hotel car. Yeah, well, that, that's what we've been told. So whether they have a private driver that drives them everywhere in it, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's still designed that you should be able to fit a set of golf clubs in the back and all that kind of thing. Mm. It's got those cool rear and infotainment um, screens that allow you to, you know, input navigation and stuff from the second row. Um I, I can see how it fits that bill and, you know, sometimes, especially now where everyone's got a Tesla or, or a Merc or a BMW, you might just want something different and that's what this car offers. Mm. Just another question for you, James. Range, mm. how does it compare to 
other kind of electric sedans of this ilk? So the the WLTP claim is about 520 kilometers, which is actually quite long range when you think about it. And it's certainly um, quite efficient. I was achieving 15 kilowatt hours per 100 Ks on the freeway coming back from uh, Yarra Glen into Melbourne CBD, which was quite That's impressive, which is, yeah, it's it's almost as, it was almost as efficient as a, a Tesla Model 3's claim. So it's yeah. a very, very aerodynamic design. So I guess that plays part of it. And I, it, that would lead me to believe, given that the range is calculated off a combined um uh, energy consumption rate of 19 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers. I feel like, you know, a 500 kilometer distance between charges should be entirely achievable, which I think for most people is is what you want because a lot of the German stuff is big on luxury and refinement, but, you know, you start seeing the real world, their range dips 400 kilometers and below. So this could truly be like maybe one of the long range EVs that's not a Tesla. Mm. Um, and considering you can't actually buy a Model S at the moment in Australia, it's one of the few like big comfort leaning options in this sort of space. So that's what sort of what I was just talking about before, how it sort of stands alone, because there's not really anything that directly competes with it. And perhaps that's where, you know, this unique biodemographic is coming in because they have specific needs and, you know, they want to be able to go out to the holiday home or, you know, the, the, the cottage in the forest or whatever <laughs> weekend getaway you want. Or, As CEOs you know, do, go off or, to their forest or, cottages. Or, or the golf club on the peninsula, you know, that's there a 250-kilometre 200, return trip for some people and they don't have to think about charging because they'll make it back and they'll be able to go back again. So, you know, it's... It, it was. I was really impressed by it, but I feel like it's it's one of those cars that, as a package, can be quite polarizing. I try mm. to think from the perspective of a target demographic, sorry, and um, you know, I feel like it, it fits the bill of what it's, it sets out to do. Yes, there are um, some elements that could need to be improved or can be improved with perhaps an update or a next generation car, but I think for a car that's based off a combustion platform and is able to do what it does and seems to be quite a good all rounder. I think there's, there's something to say in that. And I, I just think that um, being mm. able to offer that car, given the low volume that Genesis has in Australia as well, I think the brand has to be commended for continuing to give it a shot, even though it hasn't quite struck a chord with the Australian buyer set yet. What charge can it take? Yeah, so it has the same charging architecture as all the ENGMP stuff. So it can do up to 350 kilowatt charging DC um, with a 800 volt architecture. Um, I know that some people question whether um, Hyundai Group products can actually do 350 kilowatt charging because it's actually difficult to see in real world use. But the the brand claims that it is an accurate and achievable figure, but it has to be in um, in, in the right conditions because I think it's down to heat management and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you can read the full review and uh, Paul Merrick's accompanying video at carexpert.com.au where you gave it an 8.6. Thank you, James Wong. Thanks for having me, team. Croft, you've been driving the 2023 Toyota GR86, hopefully on a track. And I love one of your lines that you you love to say is it's properly quick. Is it the (laughs) same with the GR86? I think I've been listening to too many English journalists. <laughs> I love that word too. I've it's got onto that word. Quick. I quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, and uh, th- this must be said, I was not a fan of the original Toyota 86. I had one drive in it at, um, at the old place where we worked 
and I drove it home and back to work, and uh, that was the last I ever drove an '86. And Why didn't I didn't you like it. it. I didn't miss it. Really? I thought it was gutless. I thought the tires were crap. Huh. Um, the noise was horrific. Um, it, it had no saving grace for me other than it looked pretty good. Um, and I was uh, not, I didn't miss it one iota. And in fact, when I got the invite to this GR86, I was mildly interested and I was expecting just a little bit more of bad, um, a little bit better than what it was last time. But I was massively uh, surprised and inspired. I drove it with a competitive colleague, so we compared notes. Uh, we did a two-hour road drive before we got on track at Phillip Island, and um, uh, it's a lot quicker. It's uh, it's certainly I'm you know six point three nine to hundred. It's as quick as a Golf Mark Eight GDI. So this is not a slow car by any stretch, and you really can milk it for all it's worth. Um, right up to seven thousand RPM. We were switching gears. Now they do uh, make. Um, there was some uh, the biggest uh, question mark on this car was seems to be around pricing. Because uh, the original car was twenty nine nine ninety, this car starts at uh, forty three two. I was going to say two ninety. I can't remember exactly um, around that price. And then the top spec GTS uh, is around forty five something, forty five three ninety. So forty three two forty for the GT. Now there's no difference between auto and manual. That's the one thing, and that's caused a bit of, uh, you know, herb because the BRZ is uh, considerably cheaper uh, on the manual. Um, it's so, always usually a couple of grand uh, cheaper yeah, than the manual, isn't uh, it? You know, they've just done it a different way, and yeah. um, the autos know more than the, than the manual. So um, I drove both. Um, I didn't like the auto um, at all, uh, in fact, because it's a slush box. Uh, it won't shift down on a track when you need it to shift down and you just don't want any part of it, to be honest. Um, um, not very, not up my alley at all. The manual's so much fun. Um, but, you know, right from the start, this is a car that looks more resolved. It really looks like a proper, really resolved sports car, particularly in Apollo Blue, if you want to have a look at that on the site. Um, really good colour. And um, the interior, well, that's much of a muchness. Um, some slight improvements, uh, but it's got everything you want and nothing you don't want. Can I say that? And um, even though the gearbox is notchy, um, it uh, is very easy to drive on road. Um, it, the, the, the one omission, it doesn't have rev matching, which I just think is so bizarre. And they've got rev matching on GR um, uh, Yaris and they've got rev matching on GR Supra, but they don't have it on here. And we asked the question to the head uh, engineer and a very nice guy, very knowledgeable, and he says, we've got the module. So I said, well, uh, can I buy it? Use it, yeah. <laughs> I want to put it in because I think it would make it a lot easier to drive and a lot more fun. just seemed to be a little bit problematic. It feels like initially a short throw transmission, but it's actually not that short throw. Um, and we proved that on track uh, in uh, Phillip Island, uh, the MG corner, which is kind of a downhill tight right-hander hairpin virtually. And you need to go from fourth to second in that car on that track. And it was very, very difficult to step down the gears and heel and toe at the same time in that car. Um, and I was with two or three different pros as well. They also had trouble getting there. Uh, the only one that did it really well was uh, Neil Bates, who took me on a uh, hot lap. 
And uh, but you know, it, it was kind of he struggled a little bit himself. So I thought, yeah, give give us rev matching. Um, but it's fast. It's a fifty percent stiffer. Uh, from behind and 60% stiffer up front. So this is a demonstrably better handling car and something that you can really, really push. In fact, Neil Bates said that around Phillip Island, he could see two or three seconds a lap quicker between the old um, 86 race car and what he's building now. He's building the new One Make Series GR86 race car. So you're talking two to three seconds a lap. That's how much better this car is in the corners, and it's got proper tyres, of course, Pilot Sport from Michelin. So, you know, they've really gone all out. And if you look through the press kit, they've tweaked everything in that engine. So it's gone from a 2-litre to a 2.4, 22 uh, kilowatts and about 38 newton metres more uh, at both ends. So um, I really impressed. I, I really enjoyed driving it. I'd buy one. Um, as a daily, I think they'd be an awesome daily because um, they're practical enough, you know. Mm-hmm. They've got a proper boot and, you know, the same layout as before. Just a better-looking car, way better in stability down the straight, flat chat. Um, Neil Bates was virtually flat through turn one. That's how hard you can push this car. Now, he got it sideways because I think we wanted him to get it sideways, but he could punt that car through turn one at Phillip Island at about 210 k's an hour uh, flat, and it holds the line. And it's only got, you know, 215 width rubber. So it's not, you haven't got a wide footprint, but, you know, uh, matched with its chassis, and they've, as I said before, they've tweaked every little component, not only the engine, but the chassis, the, the, the springs, the dampers, everything has been tweaked. It's really impressive, guys. And, you know, people complain, yeah, it's so much more money. Well, not really because it's a lot more car than what you got before. Um, so I, I don't share that view. And I think 43, um, 240 isn't big money for a proper sports car that you can virtually track out of the box. Where it did falter down, um, besides the gearbox uh, issues, was the brakes. Um, we were sort of doing two to three lap stints and the cars needed to be rested to cool the brakes. I don't think the um, the 294 front rotor uh, uh, size or the 290 rears, they're not quite up to it. I think you need bigger rotors if you're going to track a car like that because it is so capable that you tend to brake fairly late. And I remember um, my comparison is with the 308 GDI Peugeot. That had nearly 400 mil rotors on the front. That car you could track at a tight track like a Scari and virtually leave your braking just so late because it was so capable in the brake department. I think you'll find a lot of people doing some aftermarket and maybe the maybe the Toyota dealers can offer a, a sizable brake package swap out because uh, I think anyone that's keen on and getting their car on track days will need to do that, otherwise they're going to run out of brakes. Uh, just lastly, Croft, does it sound good? It sounds pretty good, Mandy. I mean, okay. it's a four-pot, so... You can never get a four-pot sounding amazing. Mm. Um, some of the Euros do it okay. But, um, yeah, look, I think it's I think it's um, acceptable. Um, I, I can't complain about the noise. But, you An know, improvement you, on the old one anyway. A big improvement. I, yeah. There's nothing that's not improved on this car yeah. compared to the old one. I, I just – if you can drive a manual, buy the manual um, and forget the automatic – um, unless you really, really um, can't drive a manual and you don't want to learn. 
<laughs> You've given it a car expert rating of 8.4, and that review is live now at the site. Uh, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. Just before we do uh, the garage and events, Crawford, you wanted to touch on a really cool feature in the Bentley Bentayga that you recently drove. Yeah, we're in Vancouver, Mandy, and the extended wheelbase Bentayga. It's actually a fifth line for the ben- for the for the Bentley brand, to be honest. Now, the party trick is if you order it with the four seat configuration, you get four point one or five. You get you can also get the airline seat specification. So you sit in the back. In this palatial thing, a palatial chair, you take your little remote out and you hit airline seats and you'll hit relaxation. There's also business. Relaxation extends the rear seat all the way back, pushes the front seat all the way forward, drops an ottoman for your boots, and you just basically just kick back for three hours. And it also has postural adjustment. So that means it's got little sensors and pressure pads that continuously change the shape of the seat so as you don't get any blood clots or anything like that uh, when you're sitting for your three hours. So it's actually massaging, but it's doing it in a proper way. It also has auto climate sensing in the seat. So again, we have pads that if you're really hot and it senses the heat in your body, it'll automatically switch the cooling on. Uh, both seat back and seat bottom. And um, it, it, it really is quite amazing. It's the most advanced seat ever put into a car with 22 ways of adjustment, wow. as well as all that uh, those those features. But it is I wonder, quite – what's I that? wonder how much it would weigh, <laughs> just one seat. I don't know. It's a good <laughs> question. But, uh, I mean, the car weighs enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, James, right? it's like – James made that crack before about me not liking new technology. That is new technology I can get behind. Yeah. Anything to make seat car seats more comfortable and more adjustable, I am I'm yeah, there. Well, you know what? I posted uh, a quick 10-second clip uh, from Vancouver, and within like 20 minutes of sitting down for dinner, it had 26,000 views. So I think people were right into this <laughs> airline seat configuration. Yeah. And what a great wouldn't. thing to show off to your neighbours or your colleague. Here, uh-huh. sit back here. And relax. <laughs> that uh-huh. is very, very, very cool. Yeah. Um, now, Will, where is the Car Expert team off to the next week or so? So, Paul is actually in Colorado right now for a Mercedes-Benz event driving the EQE and the EQS. Um I know that we also have somebody going uh, to Spain to drive the Audi RS4 and RS5 competition. Um, and uh, there's also a Volkswagen Tiguan Adventure launch in Sydney that Scott will be attending during the week. Now, in our garages, the Melbourne garage, good thing they've got a lot of parking spaces down there uh, because they've got a Ford Everest Platinum. Um, so, I just went to the launch for that recently. So, it'll be good to actually get that on the road. Um, Jeep Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon. Looks like James will be driving that. Uh, seems about as much his type of car as it is mine. <laughs> um, a Cooper Leon VZX is also in the garage along with a BMW 230i. Also next to James. That seems a little bit more his speed. Uh, Mercedes-Benz E350 Cabriolet. Very nice. Uh, an MG ZS EV Excite. And up here in Brisbane, Albors is driving a Nissan Navara SL Warrior. Again, wow. probably not what I would generally <laughs> expect to see him drive. I'd like to see a word of a review on that one. <laughs> well, I think we've also got one through the Melbourne garage coming up soon, so like more likely, more likely that'll be a review. And can I just say, in a couple of weeks, I'm um, heading to Rome to drive the Urus Performante. 
wow. long track, and it's a very difficult track, wow. Vallelunga, about half an hour from Rome. Well, look, if anybody can handle that track, Tony, it would be oh, you. I was going to say that, Will. I'm, I'm, I'm more than capable of but, but can you believe they find it fit to to make a hype of The Urus is already a mental car, so this is going to be doubly mental. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you. I mean, it's just insane, right? A performante version of Urus. My God, well, a considerably less wild SUV, but one I will be driving this week is the Lexus NX 350h Sports Luxury. So, won't be taking that one to the track, Tony. No, uh, <laughs> but that will be not will. A nice, relaxing drive for the week. <laughs> Yeah. Well, lots of good stuff coming up indeed. Well, it's uh, been fun this week, guys. Tony Crawford and William Stopford, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Thanks Will. Thanks, Mandy.